turn to Galatians 5. Last week we talked about, it says that now in verse 19 it says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, or the deeds of the flesh are obvious. In other words, when you're not living by the Spirit, when you are um, living more by the, uh, by the flesh, it's, it can be very obvious. And the first thing that it lists, and the first thing it almost always lists in these lists, is uh, immorality, impurity, and sexuality. Uh, we talked in great depth about that last week. In fact, I talked for an hour. So go and listen to that. Um, it goes on to say, The deeds of the flesh are obvious or evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, and then next, next it says idolatry. So this morning we're going to talk about idolatry. And I'll be honest with you. To talk about idolatry to this culture, this generation uh, of believers and churchgoers is really difficult because we are not people that that go around painting our faces and wearing weird headdresses and bowing down to totem poles and building golden calves and carrying little weird trinkets in our pockets and, and you know, every now and then, you know, doing all this weird stuff. We're not people that do that. So we talk about idolatry and we're like, man, that's not really for me. It doesn't make any sense. I don't do those things, you know. And I could easily go into a bunch of lists like the one uh, on the video, you know, different things that can, that can really... Um, um, grab us in life like money and materialism and, and all those things. And those are all, man, those are legitimate things that become idols in our lives. And, and the, the thing is, is, there's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. Okay? If you have money, there's nothing wrong with that. If you have a nice car or if you have a nice job or you have a, uh, a new boyfriend or girlfriend or, or whatever, the things that we list as idolatry in our life. If you have a cell phone and you really like to be on it, there's not anything intrinsically wrong with that. It's more about the heart. Okay, when you have things that can be considered idols or idolatry in your life, you have to look at the heart before you look at anything. In fact, the definition for idolatry, really at the root of what it really means, is the worship of false gods. And if you're writing things down, I want you to, we're going to start off this morning by writing this down. Idolatry becomes an issue when our heart to worship God is out of alignment. Okay, so I'm not going to address all the list of things that can be idols in our lives. I would rather step back from the symptoms and address the, the issue, the real issue, which is our heart. Idolatry becomes an issue when our heart to worship God, when our worship is out of alignment. I heard uh, uh, some of you guys are familiar with Mark Driscoll. I've listened to some of his sermons. And I remember years ago hearing him say that the opposite of worship, he was teaching on worship, I think, the opposite of worship is idolatry. I absolutely agree. And I had this idea. Remember what I said, idolatry becomes an issue when our worship is out of alignment. And, and my wife and I have been going to a chiropractor a lot this past year. And, you know, it's all about the spine being lined up. And if your spine's out of line or things aren't lined up right, then you can experience tingling in your, feeling, uh, your fingers. You can experience, you know, muscle pains in your uh, in your legs and in your arms. You can experience weird headaches. It can make you nauseous. It can make you uh, emotional. It can do all kinds of things because your spine, apparently, I don't know all the jibber-jabber, whatever, but apparently your spine's pretty important. And so as, we were think- as I was thinking about idolatry, I thought about what is this kind of the, the things that need to be in line more than anything as it relates to worship. And the thing that came to my mind is trust and hope. In our life, when trust and hope is out of a line, alignment in our lives, then what can happen is we start trying to find our trust and find our hope 
and ultimately our satisfaction and fulfillment in all kinds of other things. And then that's when the list can go mile, a uh, mile long. And so, again, idolatry becomes an issue when our heart to worship God is out of alignment. And I'm specifically this morning kind of focusing on that whole idea of trust and hope. When trust and hope are lined up in our lives and in our hearts, we become what Jesus talked to the, the Samaritan woman about at the well. We become true worshipers, not just people who are standing in, you know, in a service that lift our hands every now and then and, and can say a prayer and, and sing a nice song or whatever. We become true worshipers because our hearts are aligned. I've seen many people who are fascinated and fixated and, and completely um, out of a line in their, in their trust and their hope, but then they can come in a place like this and they can raise their hands all day long. And I've, I've said this for years. It means nothing to me if you raise your hands and dance around um, and yet you are not willing to address, address the trust and, and issues and the hope issues and the aligning yourselves with the heart of God. It just means nothing. But whenever you can, then this wonderful, um, amazing things happen. You become a true worshiper, and those experiences that you have, those times with the Lord, become something completely different in your life. And what happens, it's like water. It's like rain on your vineyard and your love for Christ grows and your life in Christ will grow. And that's the goal, right? That's the goal. Okay. Now this morning as I'm sharing, I'm going to kind of do some, some interesting stuff because we're in this, this series called the Fox, but also it's Palm Sunday. And so I'm going to, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do this little weaving in and out. So bear with me. Okay. What I want you to do is I want you to turn to Luke 19. Luke 19, while you're turning there, if you want to write this down, you can. When our trust in God and hope of his goodness and the hope of his goodness in our lives is waning, what we'll do is we'll turn our affections to lesser things. You can go ahead and write that in there. I want you to have that. When our trust in God and and the hope of his goodness, and I appreciate Sean taking the time and Marvin taking the time to encourage our hearts and, and, and build up our spirit in that idea of hope and the Lord's goodness. You guys, we live in, in, in this time where just stuff is coming at us all the time. And we can be so discouraged. Even the body coming in, we can be here. And our neighbor may be so the most discouraged they've ever been in their entire life. And for us to just scoot on by in a service without allowing the Holy Spirit to minister, that would be a tragedy. Amen? So hopefully this morning, if you have some difficult things in your life, um, some things that may be robbing trust or, or um, um, you know, messing with your hope, I pray that you were encouraged this morning. I pray that you'll be encouraged even more. When our trust in God and the hope of His goodness in our lives is waning, um, a lot of times we'll turn our affections to lesser things. Okay, Luke 19 Luke chapter 19, and, and we'll start in verse 28. You guys, we've read this a thousand years. How many Palm Sundays have we been to? A million, okay? I've been to like two million. So the heading over this section in my Bible says the triumphal in- entry. We'll talk about that in a second, but I'm just going to start reading. You guys follow along. After he had said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he approached Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you. There, as you enter, you will find a colt. Some of your versions say a donkey tied on which no one yet has ever sat. You will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. So Jesus is asking for a donkey. And the disciples are like, what? If anyone asks you why you are untying it, you shall say the Lord has need of it. So those 
who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, untying the donkey, its owner said to them, Dude, you're stealing my donkey. They said, The Lord has need of it. And so they brought it to Jesus and they threw their coats on the colt, on the donkey, and put Jesus on it. As he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles. They were praising God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of your versions may say, Hosanna, Hosanna to the King. Some of the, and then look at verse 39, and you can even circle that little verse or underline it or whatever. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered and said, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. And I know that we've heard this verse uh, a lot of times, but I want to look at it again. This time I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. It says, verse 38 and 39, Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Verse 39 said, But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And he replied, If they kept silent, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Let me just say before I move on, I'm I'm thankful that we belong to a church that's not keeping silent. We will burst into cheers because of the wonderful deeds of the Lord. Amen? Look what he says. Teacher, rebuke the Pharisees say. Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. For saying things like what? For saying things like, Hosanna. Hosanna to the king. Praise be to the king. Do you guys remember why Satan got kicked out of heaven? You guys remember, the Bible seems to indicate that there were at least three main archangels. You have Michael, you have Gabriel, and Lucifer, which Lucifer is a Latin name. I don't know why that got stuck in there. One Latin word in the middle of a billion Hebrew words. But the Hebrew word for, for Lucifer, that name, is actually Halel. So you have Michael. El is, means God in the Hebrew. So you have Michael. You have Gabriel, and you have Halel. Gabriel means God is my strength. Michael means who is like God. And Halel means to boast of God. So Lucifer's real name, I mean Latin, nah, whatever, his Hebrew name means to boast of God. In the beginning, Satan wasn't a serpent. There are revelations that talks about that serpent of old. Listen, he wasn't always a serpent. There was a time in his existence when he was a servant. And it seems like, and a lot of scholars believe this, that Satan's job in heaven just might have been the worship leader, to direct all the worship to God. Like his job is to say, This way, all ye worshipers, all you heavenly hosts, your worship goes this way. Blessed be the Lord. And, and maybe even Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. The King of kings. The one who was and is and is to come. Whatever he said. Whatever verbiage he used for the heavenly hosts. It seems like his job was to boast of God. 
to traffic that worship. He was the worship leader. He was to give worship and lead the heavens in worship to God. But if you look, if you turn to Ezekiel 28, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it. But you can turn there on your own time. Ezekiel 28. It's one of the main places where it talks about what happened to Lucifer. And I'll just start here in verse 15. It says, You were blameless in all your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. Y'all listen real close. You were blameless, Halel, Lucifer, from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundant, abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God. I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Verse 17 says, your heart was lifted up, which means your heart was full of pride because of your beauty. And if you read a little earlier, verse 11 through 14, it talks about his beauty. Because of your pride, your heart was lifted up. You, you corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. So I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. And then verse 18 says it again. By the multitude of your iniquities in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. And I just, real quick, basically, the idea of what that is. And, and keep this in mind as we recall what the Pharisees said. Don't let them talk that way, Jesus. See, that, that whole, some of your versions say by the, by the abundance of his trade. Some of yours say maybe by the abundance of your merchandising or the unrighteousness of your merchandising. And that's kind of like an old school, ancient uh, business term that means something like this. Say, Melissa says, hey, can you sell this business card for me? And I say, sure, I'll sell it for you. And I go over here to Nathan and I say, Nathan, would you like to buy this business card? Sure, man. How much is it? $3. Cool. Here's your business card. I need the business card. And, and uh, here's my $3. And I go back to Melissa and I say, I sold your business card. Here's your $2. I shared this a couple of years ago, so some of this may sound familiar. But you guys see what just happened? The enemy was keeping some worship back for himself. He was stealing worship from God. And I give that example of, of $3, but only giving back two. Why? Because when Lucifer fell, Scripture says that he took one-third of the angels with him. He deceived one-third of the heavenly host. Why? Because he's a sly fox. He's a sly fox. He was stealing worship away from God. And not like he really can but that's what he was up to. And God said, I won't have that. He was stealing worship from God. And guess what? That's still what he's trying to do. That fox is still trying to steal worship away from God. If you're writing things down, write this down. Satan hates it when human hearts are aligned with the heart of God. He hates it. You understand that? He hates it. Satan hates it when human hearts have aligned their heart with the heart of God. And what he wants to do is he wants to throw that out of alignment. He wants to knock that out of whack so that we're feeling it here and there. And all of a sudden, we're just, there's nothing really functioning life uh, right in our life. And our vineyards are just tossed and, and you know, just messed up, which is the exact opposite of what Jesus wants for our vineyard. And there's lots of ways that he does that. And um, I want to look back at Luke. This is where I'm kind of taking a weave, so you guys stay with me. Remember, the enemy is trying to steal our worship. What did the Pharisees say? Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Don't let them talk 
that way. Don't let them say such things. That right there is a small fox. The same heart attitude that Satan has towards God, what he, what he accomplished in the heavens by robbing that worship and, and deceiving all those angels, he's still doing it today. Remember I said that, that idolatry is a, is a worship issue. So I'm not going to address all the little idols. I want to point to the heart of worship because that's really what... The enemy's not trying to say, that idol will be upon you. Take that one. You know, he's not like slipping little idols in our top drawer of our desk, hoping that we catch it and get hooked on it. It's not what he's doing. He's coming and he's trying to affect our heart. Look what it says. What I want to do is I want to show you, and I don't know if this is the best way to phrase it, but, but three levels of worship that I was looking at in this scene, starting with the Pharisees. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And the first level of worship really with this one to be a lack thereof, would be the Pharisees. And I understand that the Pharisees were supposed to be religious leaders. They were supposed to be leaders who were godly and they were, they were um, um, exalted in their culture and, and among the Jews. And, and wow, Pharisees are really cool. But the truth of it is, is that the Pharisees were, were off base. They were rule-making, men ruling people. And they did not receive Jesus. They did not believe that he was anything more than a nuisance to the control, the religious control that they had over the people. You guys see that? So in this case, I'm just going to consider them non-Jesus worshiping believers. So there's one level of worship. It's non-existent. For some people, worship is non-existent. They don't believe anything. Jesus was anything but a disturbance to their life, to their ways, to their whatever. And I just wrote it this way, and it's up there. They, basically, they worshiped their works. They were really into the laws and stuff that they added to the law of Moses. All these laws that they said, you can't carry your mat on the Sabbath. You can't do this. You can't do that. A bunch of stuff they made up, and that's what they were into. And when Jesus came along and said, dude, what are you talking about? What do you mean you can't? carry your mat on, on Sabbath. I'm telling that man to get up. He's just been healed of his disease and then go carry your mat and go, you know, and the Pharisees are like, I can't believe you just told him to carry his mat. Well, it just shows the attitude of these Pharisees. These guys don't care a thing about God, a thing about God's goodness, a thing about his grace and mercy and tenderness and healing power. They just carried about the works of their hands and it just got me to thinking there's plenty of people in this world I don't have to hang there too long because I don't believe that's who we have in this room. But there are plenty of people in this world, they don't give a squat, give squat about God and worshiping God. And that's the truth of it, right? What do they care about? The works of their hands, what they're doing, their lives, and all that kind of stuff. But there's another level. There's another group of people that's in this, and it's the crowd. Remember what the Pharisees, the Pharisees was upset with all the crowd, all the people that were following him. Some of your versions say um, the disciples. Some of your versions say those who were following Christ. But here's the deal. These are people... And I'll try to make this quick, but these are people who believed in Jesus on some level. The main thing that they believed in him about was that, and they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the king. You know, there's all kinds of, where was it? I was looking. It said that they were praising God joyfully with a loud voice. Why? It says, for all the miracles which they had seen. They were pretty excited, pretty pumped up about that, all the miracles. They were, they were like right on, you know? And so they're praising God, believing that Jesus was 
Maybe he was the king of, of the Jews. Maybe he was the Messiah that they had been looking for. But more than likely, they were looking for that conquering king that would rescue them from Rome. You know, we're in bondage here. We are just under oppression. And we need the Messiah to come. And, and he's going to deliver us from Rome. And it's going to all be good. It's all going to be great. But you've got to remember, this is the same crowd of people that one minute were excited about the king of the Jews, their conquering king coming to rescue them and meet their needs in that way. One minute, they're waving their palm branches and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the king. And hours later, they're the ones that are saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And what was the turn of events? When the Pharisees, basically, when the Pharisees came and said, Jesus is blaspheming. He's saying he's the son of God, that he is God. And all of a sudden, the people are like, what? No, 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 no. He's just the king. He's just going to come. And he's not God. He's just the king. He's the Messiah. You know, and it, it can be different people believe all kinds. The different Jews believe different things. But for the most part, these people wanted a conquering king. And as soon as they realized or found out that he was not going to deliver them from Rome, well, just crucify the guy then. Just like that. And I thought, you know what? In that moment, their trust and their hope was shattered. Think about it. This, this huge group of people waving their palm branches and saying all this stuff, in a moment, realize, oh. It's like they were willing for him to be their conquering king, but they weren't willing for him to be their God, to be the Lord of their life, to be everything else that he had been teaching and they weren't able to hear, I guess. Take up your cross. Follow me. Give your life away. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains but a single seed. But if it dies, it will bear much fruit. We don't want to hear that. We just want you to save us from Rome. And this is the crowd. This is, this is where a lot of people are. And I think it can be uh, a potential danger for us as believers to be willing for him to hold this title in life. He's king, he's Jesus, he's, man, he is this. But the minute when our faith requires for him to be Lord and control an area, to be exalted above everything in our life, we can kind of back out and back down. With one breath, say, Hosanna, Hosanna. The next breath, say, crucify him. We would never intentionally say that with our heart, uh, with our mouth, but in our heart, if we are backing away from worshiping him, and we are entering, to, entering into the affections of lesser things, then what's the difference? And that's what I was trying to say earlier when I said idolatry becomes an issue when our hearts are out of alignment. And for these people, I don't know, there could be all kinds of reasons, but I think, I think that news that Jesus wasn't the, what they thought he would be, what they were looking for in a conquering king, rescue us from, from, uh, from Rome, meet our needs, as soon as they realized that, as soon as their hopes were dashed, their trust was broken, their worship ended. I'm no longer worshiping Jesus. I'm actually putting him to death. And you have the disciples that were there. Remember, they're the ones that went and got the donkey. And you think those are the 12 men that, sure, they may, their, their trust may have been like, whoa, and their uh, hope might have been like, whoa, here and there. But they stayed faithful. They believed. They continued to worship. They believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Remember Jesus asked his disciples, who, 
Who do the people say I am? Who do you say I am? Thou art the Christ, Peter said, the Son of the living God. They had that. They hung on to that, and that was able to get them through. They worshipped the Lord, whereas the, the crowd, ultimately, they worshipped themselves. They worshipped what they wanted. It shifted as soon as what they wanted didn't happen anymore. And you guys, we can be just like that. My encouragement is that we would be like the disciples who said, you know what? Come what may, thou art the Son of the living God, the Christ. Come what may. Come things that may be difficult. Come things that may be trying. Come things that may push me to the limit. I choose to worship the Lord because He is the Son of the living God. They understood that He is the Lord of lords, the King of kings. I want you to write this down, kind of going back to where we were. Remember I said our worship alignment, the two things that, that, um, that I want to encourage us to line up this morning are trust and hope. Trust and hope. And I want to say this real quick. Doubt and despair can easily throw a heart of worship out of whack. Doubt and despair, like the crowd. You know, that's one level. Doubt and despair can throw a heart of worship out of whack. Doubt, what is doubt? Basically the lack of trust. What is despair? The lack of hope. If you look them up in the words, doubt is the lack of trust and despair is a lack of hope. Doubt and despair can easily throw a heart of worship out of whack. I think this is really important. And I think there are more people that are doubting and despairing even in our midst than we realize and that would even admit it themselves. Because difficult times are coming. They have come. And they uh, were promised more difficult times. Maybe relational stuff. Maybe job stuff. Maybe financial stuff. Just different stuff. It's like, oh my goodness. The pressure is on. It's cooking here in my life. We may not admit it. Be willing to admit it. But it is. And Satan uses doubt and despair to draw you away from God. But. If we allow him, God will use doubt and despair to draw us close to him. Like the disciples. We don't want to be like the crowd who one minute palm branches, the next minute crucify him. We want to be like the the disciples. And yes, I understand that Peter denied him in the garden. I understand that the disciples ran when they came to get him uh, up in the garden. Uh, Yeah, I understand that. They had these moments of stuff. And guess what? We are too. That's what I love about the disciples. They point an accurate picture of us. Yes, there are times where it's like, oh, there's moments of despair. There's moments of doubt, like, oh, oh, what's happening? But at the end of the day, I press into the Lord, and I hang on for dear life. And that pressing into the Lord and hanging on for dear life is what what, um, qualifies me to be called a true worshiper. Pressing into the Lord. The enemy wants to rob us from that. He wants to throw us out of whack, throw us out of alignment. And so the difficult things in your life, the challenges, the trying situations, those can be little foxes that the enemy uses. I thought you were talking about idolatry. I am. But like I said, he's not necessarily trying to slip a little totem pole in our top drawer and say, hope they get that. hope they figure what that's for. No. He addresses our heart because if he can get our heart out of the line, we will naturally go and choose our own idols. We will go choose our own affections. 
And even as I'm speaking, some of you can, some of the Lord, the Holy Spirit is bringing certain things in your life that has, has um, um, risen up to the top. What should be a lesser thing has risen up to the platform of greater thing, even greater than the Lord. Because you are spending more time doing that or fixated on that than you are in God's word and trusting him and praying and depending upon him and clinging to him. What got you there? Maybe doubt, maybe despair, a lack of trust, a lack of hope. Let me just say, you guys, and I'll just let Paul say it because he said it best. He says, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. And when I am weak, then I am strong. Very simply put, Paul said it all kinds of different ways throughout his writings, but this is, uh, I chose this one because he says, I am well content. And as I read that, I just, and this probably isn't the, the accurate translation of that word, but I'm translating it this morning. I am well content. I am aligned. I am in line with the Lord. My worship is directed to God and God alone. I am content. I am aligned with weakness I have trust and hope that in my weakness, he will make me strong. With insults that come my way, I'm aligned. With distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, I'm content. I'm aligned. My worship is solid. You guys hear what I'm saying this morning? It's important. Some of you may have been reading ahead, and you you may have known we were going to go to idolatry this morning, and you were maybe wanting, hoping, expecting that I'll start calling out this list of stuff. And just poke people. <laughs> and that's actually what I started out doing. Let's just poke people this morning. Make them feel bad. But the Lord said, it's, those little things are never the issue. The issue is always the heart. The issue is the heart. Because this, it's, it's, a, it's fine to do this. Except for when we exalt it above the Lord. This is not a big deal to do this. Unless... We give no affection, no attention to the Lord. Amen? That's really all I have to say this morning. You guys can stand. I am well content. My prayer is that we would be a people who are well content. Remember what I said. The enemy is coming to steal, kill, and destroy. He got fired from heaven. His first theft, his first act of unrighteousness, well, I guess his first act would be pride. But after that, his first act was to steal worship away from God and to deceive one-third of the heavenly hosts and to think that he's not still in the business of stealing worship away from God. We would be naive, amen? So he has his little devices. He has his things that he's sending into our vineyard, our love for Christ, our life in Christ to throw our spine out of whack to create unhealthy objects of affection instead of healthy godly worshipful true worship object of affection which is he himself God I am well content with weakness and I'll just say this before I pray you know the very next thing it says is is that Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. 
How I wish today that you, of all people, would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late, and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not accept your opportunity for salvation. And that has specific meanings, but the thing that stood out to me is that we didn't accept our opportunity for salvation. And let me just say this morning that most of us in here have taken advantage of that opportunity for salvation, though maybe not everybody. And if you are here and you have never said, if you've never moved Jesus from a from, uh, guy who's disturbing my peace, my life, to the guy who is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, if you've never made him the, uh, the object of your affection, if you've never allowed him to pull you up out of the mire, you've never said, I do, you've never gotten saved, there's a thousand ways to say it. Do that. What's the problem? I can't think of anything better than to be rescued from the muck and the mire. Amen? I remember when I got saved, I was like, sweet. Jesus saves, like we sang this morning. So don't, don't miss your opportunity for salvation. But the thing is, says you did not accept your opportunity for salvation. Listen, um, my encouragement today is in the midst of what you may be going through, remember we talked about trust and hope. If there are things that are trying your trust of the Lord, things that make it seem like he's not good, things in your life that are just maybe difficult and it seems like God's not good, know that he is. Know that he is. Solidify that in your heart. Align that. Align that up because it's the truth of God's word. It says that he is good to all that he has made. He is, good, he is um, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, rich and abounding in love and mercy and he is good to all that he has made and that includes you whether it looks and feels good in your life right now. The truth is he is good. He is good. His goodness is, is all over you. It may not be <laughs> the picture of good in your life right now, but what he's up to in your life is to bring you into alignment. And if you will accept this opportunity, he will align you and you will experience uh, that peace that he's talking about. Understand that, uh, that all you people would understand the way to peace. Or if there's things, it's like you've been in this mess for so long and it's so deep and it's so ugly that it's like, there's no hope. This is, the, this is the way it is for me in life. This hurt, this pain, this struggle, whatever it is. Well, it was one of the lyrics to the songs, wasn't it? Hope is here. Shout the news to everyone. You lose hope. And you get out of line pretty quick. Quick. Don't lose hope. Yes, it may be black. Yes, there may be sorrow in the night. But joy comes in the morning. We sang that this morning too. Light is coming. Though there's 
Sorrow lasts for the night, but joy comes in the morning. There's a thousand different ways the word says it, a thousand different ways I can say it. Hang on, align yourself, trust in him, hope in him. Where you're at is not the end. Where you're at is not your lot. God says that your lot is for a hope and a future. His plans are to prosper you, not to harm you. I'm well content with weakness, insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen.